and welcome to episode 43 of the Game Train podcast. I'm Callan Davison and joining me this week is not Carl Smith. He's away at the moment, so we have another fill-in. We have Mark Santo. He's back. <laughs> G'day. How are you doing, Cal? Good, good. Welcome back to uh, the Game Train, mate. Thank you for filling in for my co-host while he... Uh, Prances around the country touring at the moment. Yeah, doing everything that we would like to be doing, but that's fine. It's yep, alright, we're not yep. jealous that he's on holiday because we've got so many great games to play. <laughs> exactly, I'm actually really jealous of him at the moment because he's in the snow. He's ah. on the snow tour, so, but we'll get a bit to that a bit later. But so on this episode we have the review of the Nintendo Switch exclusive Octopath Traveler. Mm-hmm. Plus we have uh, all the latest news, we answer your questions, and again we have our hype and lame trains. Love the hype and lame trains. That's Don't right. forget the love. Love uh, train is a thing love, too. And the love. That's right. But before all that, let's go into the news this week. Digimon Survive is uh, a new game that's coming out. That's right. Digimon is back. Are you excited for Digimon? I have not been excited for a Digimon <laughs> since I was about seven years old and I dropped my purple Digimon into the toilet while I was about to go to the bathroom. That's how obsessed I was. I took it with me, me everywhere, and it just never worked again. So I can't say I'm that excited. didn't even know it was a thing, to be honest. Well, what, what is it? It is coming out on the Nintendo Switch and the PS4 next year. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like it is a, uh, it's a RPG that switches between 2D and 3D. So that's all the news at the moment on that. Sounds way too complicated for a... It sounds way too sophisticated for a Digimon game. 2D and 3D? Yep, yep. RPG? Yep. Yep, so there's a bit going on there. Alright, also, um, there is a limited edition PlayStation 4 Pro Mm. Spider-Man edition coming. Yeah. Bright red with the Spider-Man symbol on it. It It looks awesome. Look, I'm excited for it. I'm not getting one because it's money that I'm not going to spend on another PlayStation. Mm. But for a new buyer that loves Spider-Man, it's a perfect thing. Yeah, every time I look at special edition consoles, I think they're cool. Don't get me wrong, I know they're cool... I see them, I think that would look amazing, but it's always when I'm caught up in the hype of a game, yep. and I can't wait for Spider-Man when it drops on the PS4 in just a couple of weeks' time now. So right now yes. I'm looking at it and thinking, that looks cool as part of the advertising, but I don't normally have my PlayStation 4 <laughs> set up against a red background with my red controller and my copy of the game. It's going to sit on my shelf, so I don't think I'd really in- like it on my entertainment unit. That being said... I mean, I've already got a PlayStation 4, but it is for the new buyers, I'm assuming, unless there's just collectors out there that want a nice red PS4. That's right. Yeah, well, someone might love the colour red for whatever reason. They're just trying to deck out all their stuff in red. I like red. <laughs> um, all right, so um, there's a new Mario Kart 8 Deluxe update. Mm. This one adds, Came out of nowhere. Yeah, this one adds Zelda Breath of the Wild content, so yes. you can ride Link's motorbike. Yeah, that bizarre bike that you got. I think what is it called, the Grand Master Cycle or something along those lines. Yeah, from the uh, from the challenges or whatever it was. Yeah, so when the new DLC for Zelda: Breath of the Wild came out earlier this year, the, the Champions Ballad DLC. At the end, if you completed everything, you got a motorbike to run around with, which made no sense in the context <laughs> of the world. But that's yeah, fine. That's cool. And now that's come to Mario Kart, along with the wheels and uh, a specific glider, which I think you can attach to different. Yeah, cars. I think it's also uh, Link's parachute, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. From yeah. the uh, from Breath of the Wild. So, Look, but, a nice little update. It's free, so you can't really complain about that. No, you can't. No, and you know they added the uh, the Labo to Mario Kart the other week as well. Yeah. So they're, they're still adding stuff to Mario Kart. Like some new tracks, though. That's what would bring. Well, me I was going to say, where do you think Mario Kart's going? Because this one, by all, I mean, it's just a, a re-release. Sure, yeah. it had everything packed in, but it is the same game that came out on the Wii U. Yeah. Do we get a Mario Kart Nine by the time the Switch is done? 
Yes, I, I reckon we get one next year. I next it, year? I reckon it'll be time for a new Mario Kart next year. Nah, that Star Fox game's coming out, mate. That's that's the racer we all want for 2019. Nah, don't worry nah, about. I don't want a Star Fox race. I'm fine with Mario Kart Nine, mate. After Mario plus Rabbids, you got to have an open mind. Or maybe they go down the Smash Brothers route of the ultimate um, Mario Kart in every single track that's ever been in Mario Kart. I know Dulux had Eight Dulux had a lot of tracks mm. from the old ones, but I mean every single track in the entire thing in I, one super package look i don't really care so much about that i would just like to be able to race as everyone like super smash brothers why can't i race as captain falcon in his blue falcon why can't i race as samus you know it works so well with the inklings and with yeah. link and with uh isabel and all the others from animal crossing i think that's probably where mario kart 9 is going to go yep because I mean, we've seen how successful it can be. I know it was good as a test for DLC, yep. but I'd be willing to... I'd, I'd rather race as Samus than some obscure Koopaling who I don't really care about. Fair enough. Um, also, the Fallout 76 beta will mm. be starting in October. So that's yes. for people that have pre-ordered the game. Um, it's going to be one area in, in the world, which I guess people assume would happen anyway. Yep. But I think it's a bit late to be happening in October with the game dropping in November. Well, it either says that they're really rushing to the finish line or they're very, very confident in their servers. And we know that, uh, obviously, the, the online of Bethesda is sensational. Um, so I, I'm not too concerned in that regard. That being said, Fallout 76 didn't capture my attention at E3. I haven't pre-ordered it. I don't know anyone who has in my friendship group. Um, so I would... uh, actually one of our uh, game train fillings, Dave Pepper. Has he? Yes, he has. Oh, he, Dave. he ordered the Super Ultimate three hundred dollar edition that comes with the uh, the Power Armor helmet. So he's very excited for it. That man has too much money to burn. Right? <laughs> After seeing his his four Ninja Turtles figurines, that God knows how much money he spent on those. But anyway, uh, have you seen his Jurassic Park room though? Yes. I have. Oh my yes. God. <laughs> Hello, Dave. If you're listening, he's on um, another level. Alright, and also, um, Microsoft has announced their Gamescom plans. They mm. are doing a inside Xbox uh, presentation, which isn't their full presentation like they'd normally do like an E3. It's more like a Nintendo Direct, a pre-recorded video mm. that will be streamed online for Gamescom. And the big rumour that's coming out of that is that they're going to be starting to announce new new Xboxes. Yep. Uh when you say new Xboxes, are we talking about versions of the Xbox One or are you talking oh, about talk- Scarlet? We're talking Scarlet. Scarlet. Yeah. Okay. Well, because this is, I wanted to bring this up later as something that I'm super looking forward to as part of the hype train. But the we've heard rumours for a long time that the new Xbox is going to have multiple versions. In fact, I'm pretty sure Microsoft said it themselves at E3 that moving forward, Xbox is going to be a, a platform which caters to different audiences with different SKUs. Yes. So, Fully appreciated that, but now we've getting a little bit more information. Yeah, the the rumor that dropped this morning actually is that it's going to be they're going to release two. One's called the Xbox Lite, or this is like what the rumor said, and it will be streaming only. So that's not like a slim. It's not the the same box just made smaller. It's no, it's something else. They're calling it. Well, we don't know what it's going to be called yet, but the rumor says it's going to be like a light version. So you're going to have your heavy hardware version. Um, and you're going to have a, um, the light version, which is just for streaming only. So it won't have the hardware that the, um, let's say it's the Scorpio 2 or whatever they want to call it, Scarlet, Super Xbox, whatever, <laughs> Xbox 2X, X2, mm. um, any of those names. But um, 
Yeah, so this one you're going to just stream your gameplay directly from the internet, which I don't fully get as a concept yet. Well, I don't think we're ever going to get it in Australia because our no. NBN is so terrible. But... Our, yes, but yeah, for the like Americans and mm. and all that that have great internet, it could be a, a cheaper way of buying a console and getting access to everything. Well, if you think about it, if you've got the option between buying... And mind you, the new graphics cards are coming out uh, in 2019, if I'm not mistaken, the 1800 XI or whatever NVIDIA is working on now. And I think it's the first time in a long time that brand new graphics cards have come out you know, within six months to 12 months of when we're expecting new consoles. Normally, there's a bit of a lag. So as for how powerful that first Xbox is, the the, the super strong one, it might end up costing us in the realm of seven $800 here in Australia. And to think that there might be a light option, which you could spend $200 on, but it doesn't work unless you've got a $100 a year subscription, that might be a really, really low barrier to entry for a lot of people that might not be willing to invest in $800 in an $800 box. I don't think we'll ever see an $800 launch console for a new generation again after PlayStation 3 of their $1,000 console mm. years ago because it tanked pretty much. I, I understand that, but I think Microsoft really failed with the Xbox One by not pushing that we are the most powerful console out there. They went for... And PlayStation 4 did this as well. It was an intermediate step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. could have gone all the way to the PlayStation 4 Pro and the Xbox One X, but they didn't because they knew it was going to be too expensive. So they sort of shirked um, on the power in favor of keeping that price to around four or $500. Whereas I think Xbox got its name based on its power, and that's what they're going to have to go for for this, for this next box. Well, the room also said that they're going to be launching in 2020, which I see mm. as a foreseeable thing like there's some stupid rumors going around that playstation wanted to launch the new playstation this year it's too soon it's too soon the generation's not done yet absolutely um but who goes first is playstation or xbox launch first um that's that's gonna be the big one i would i would hazard a guess i think microsoft almost needs to launch first Mm -hmm. but that being said i still feel like if neither of them get their launch games Right. I mean, to be honest, when, when people talk about starting a new generation, I don't feel like Microsoft's Xbox One has had enough good exclusive games for it to warrant even being a generation. <laughs> oh, I, I know wow. that, that's an insult, but nothing, with the exception of Cuphead, with the exception of Cuphead, what other first-party game? I'm not really into the Forzas. Um, I don't feel like I've gotten a really good brand new Gears. I know it's on the way. I know Halo's on the way, but Halo, 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 Halo 5, 5 I didn't that. like. I yep. thought it was. I okay. thought it was very subpar, mm-hmm. and so I, I'm really struggling to see. I'm at least PlayStation, and it, it's probably the same. The same for PlayStation. Admittedly, they did have. I never had a PlayStation Three, so when they re brought out Last of Us, the Uncharted Collection, uh, Ratchet and Clank, I, I counted those as first party games for me. Mm-hmm. But they also had. Bloodborne. They've also had God of War. They've also had The Last Guardian. We know Spider-Man's coming. The Last of Us Part 2. We know that um, there's all these big first-party games. Ghost of Tsushima. Ghost of Tsushima. Um, it, it just it feels like they've got console-defining games. Whereas if somebody said to me, oh, Xbox One, I'd be like, all right, great. Cuphead and Sea of Thieves. Yeah. Well, I think Xbox has almost given up on this generation. Yeah. As they did at E3, they announced the five new studios they've like acquired into Microsoft Studios. Yep. Um, you know, 
I, I think they're making a big push for the next generation. They lost this generation before the generation even started. Yeah. When they said um, they're online only, you know, they weren't going to use discs and all that. And there was a big outrage from the community mm. and people sort of jumped ship to PlayStation. They'd lost before it even begun. And I think they realized this. So they're putting all their eggs now in the next generation, skipping this one in theory. And we'll see what happens mm. with that. See, I think that's you, you raise a really good point. It was marketed very poorly, and I yep. feel like between the two press conferences, as bizarre as PlayStation's press conference was this year, making everyone move around and you know having to wait fifteen minutes, um, at least I always felt like PlayStation's come across better because they got more games to show. Microsoft really pushed for more games this year, and they came off looking great, but. I'm surprised it's taken them this long to go the pre-recorded route that Nintendo's been doing for the past couple of years just to make sure they get their stuff across in the best way possible. And the fact that they're going to do it at Gamescom, I think, is encouraging. Well, I think with Gamescom, it's a bit different to uh, E3, which E3's always been the big press conference as well. Gamescom hasn't had that, so they've gone, all right, we'll do a pre-recorded thing. We'll, We'll go of that. So it'll be interesting to see if Sony does something similar as well for Gamescom, like... Um, I'm expecting another Nintendo Direct probably in the next couple of weeks now. Yep. Like, it, we're overdue for one. Well, they said that they've got stuff to announce for the rest of the year. What I mean, do I, they I have don't... to announce, though? It's insane. Like, Mario Party got announced at E3, which was like, what? You yeah. know? Um, and we've got Smash Brothers coming. We've got Pokemon coming. It's like, what else can you guys really actually mm. trot out by the end of the year? Like, I feel... I don't know. Like, Yoshi's been pushed back to next year. Would we see a, a new Super Brothers new Super Mario Brothers mm. sort of thing announced or a collection of that, maybe Mario Maker. There's a lot that could sort of still happen, but it's like, when are they going to release this stuff? True. And uh, that being said, there are still a lot of really great indie titles which were shown off when the Switch was revealed, which I still haven't seen. Yeah. I don't know where Wargroove is. I don't know where Flipping Death is. Maybe these things have come out and I've missed them on the eShop, but I'm pretty sure I haven't. So maybe it's along those lines. There's some great indie titles which... Yeah. Um, we, we can just have to fill out the back half of this year. And I know everyone is very critical of Nintendo's 2018, but I think when we look back on it and we say, well, we got Smash Brothers, we got Pokemon, we got one of the, the better RPGs, um, you know, old, old school Japanese RPGs in a long time, plus things yeah. like Mario Tennis, which was a bit of a fault. But uh, <laughs> um, Mario Tennis... Donkey Kong, they've had an all right year. Like, mm. it's not as bad as people are making it. But anyway, we should wrap the news yes. there. So, I, and that's the news. Let's go into the games we've been playing. Cool. What have you been playing at the moment, other than Octopath? Other than Octopath. Well, yeah. I'm still chipping away at the DLC for Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Because oh, right. I, never, I never haven't played it. What's it like? It's really interesting in that... It's probably worth more than the $20 or so that they charged because as much as it does build upon what was there in the original game, the introduction of Donkey Kong and Cranky Kong Kong is, it it completely changes the gameplay. Donkey Kong can pick up any enemy, any ally and just throw them around the map. He can also pick up any obstacle that's cover or whatever. Okay. So it's, it completely changes the way you play, albeit still within this, you know, turn-based strategy framework yeah and i mean it's still as you know charming and funny as the original game was the only thing i'll say is that the boss battles that i've had so far haven't been as great okay um the mid boss that i just beat he basically just runs away from you the entire time oh he's sort of a coward that is his character and you know it's played up in a really funny cgi trailer but so far it hasn't been as uh 
I want to say well thought out or well designed in terms of the bosses. Yep. Um, but I'm still halfway through that, so I won't give you my final verdict. And I'm all I finished Hollow Knight, which oh, I'd been wow. intending to play for so long, but I wanted to wait because I thought it was going to come to the Switch, and it did. Didn't hundred percent it, but I have beaten all the bosses. I finished the final boss, got the ending, and what a delight! Wow, you know there's DLC coming now for that. Yes, <laughs> and that to be honest, I think that's sort of a funny one because it's obviously a Kickstarter game, yeah. and it did so well on Kickstarter that now its developers are sort of tied to making all these stretch goals, and I'm yeah. sort of a bit disappointed by that because as as much as I'd love to get DLC, I'd rather they made a second game. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they, they stretched for so long to make sure it would get onto a Nintendo console. They have to stretch now for DLC. That's one or two years they could have spent making a brand new game. But absolutely beautiful. The art style is amazing. It handles like a dream. It's challenging. Yep. If, you, if you're into that, it's really, really challenging. And I'm writing a review at the moment for the website that I'm currently putting together. But it's one of those games where it really captures the joy of being lost. Yep. I don't think enough video games do that these days with how many waypoints there are, particularly in open world games. Yep. But when you drop yourself into that world for the first time, you don't have a map, you don't know where you're going, there's four exits on the first screen, and it literally just says, go on, yep. go for it, see what you find. That's amazing. Like, it's, it, it doesn't give you much, does no. it? No, and yeah. I mean, you learn along the way, and it is quite frustrating when you die, you leave all of your quote-unquote souls, for, yeah, for yeah, lack yeah, of a better yeah, word. Yeah. Um, uh, where you died and you've got to go back and beat like a Spectre version of yourself to get that that money back. But if you die again, it's just gone forever. Yep. So it can be quite frustrating if you're in a, a tough spot. But other than that, I mean, it's it's fantastic. The world's vibrant, the characters are great, and it's just charming. Yeah, it's, it's good. I, I, I've had a lot of fun with it. I'm not finished with it mm. yet. I'm 30-something hours yeah. into the thing now. Uh, I'm getting close to the end, I think, though. It's... So. Uh, whereabouts are you? I've taken out... T- oh, I've met two of the dream things. Oh, yes. We were discussing this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're so, not too far. I'm not too far, yeah. Um, but... And we have to mention that it's it's made by Aussies. Yeah, exactly. So, which, which is great to see. Like, a game that successful mm. from an Aussie developer, it's really, really good to see. Yeah, and it's apparently selling very well on the Switch as well. But that's all I've been playing. Cal, what have you been up to? Uh, well, I went and finished Rise of the Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. So, I'd been playing... The first Tomb Raider, and now I've jumped onto the second, so I finished that off the other day, which was really cool. Like, yep. I really enjoyed it. I was just doing it because I hadn't pl- finished them before, and I wanted to lead into the third one, which this one actually quite does at the end of the game. <laughs> yep. Uh, how it finishes. So um, I thought it was great. You know, a lot better than the first. What a sequel should be. It so it takes everything that was good from the first, builds on that, and makes it better. So I'm hoping the third one will do that with the second one now. Take everything that made the second one so great, build on that, and hopefully... Um, Shadow of the Tomb Raider will be better again. They are fantastic games. I mean, I played those... Oh, I played the first one before I'd ever played an Uncharted. And people kept saying it's Uncharted, but with Lara Croft. But oh, I think it, it's it, better. It adds, yeah, that's what I mean. It adds that little RPG elements to it where you yep. actually feel like you're upgrading yourself. You feel like you're getting stronger along the way, which I don't think Uncharted does to any degree. Um, yep. And I really, really enjoyed so far what they've done with this reboot, and I'm looking forward to the third one. Well, yeah, they've added so much like exploration to, into this mm. as well. Like, while Uncharted feels very like a linear path, yep. bar that open world section in part four. Yeah, that one yeah, section. That <laughs> one section. While Tomb Raider feels like there's still so much to go out and see and explore and check out, find secrets, hidden tombs, all that sort of fun stuff. So, and it looks like they're expanding on more of that in part three. Um, a video was released this morning of like 
just cruising through one of the big new open areas that they've made. They said it's like the biggest open area they've made in a Tomb Raider game yet. Yep. So that's going to be exciting to explore all that. I haven't watched the video because I don't want to spoil it all. Fair enough. <laughs> for, for myself. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Also, um, I jumped back into World of Warcraft. Why? <laughs> Why, Cal? Why because, do it to yourself? Because in three weeks' time, there is a new expansion coming. And I can't help myself. Ugh, I can't help myself. I... I booted back up. The pre-patch is now live, which is the lead-in to the new expansion. So they've changed everything in the game again. I felt so lost jumping back in. <laughs> so, so lost. They've item squished again. So before you were doing like 100,000 damage or 10,000 damage, whatever. Now you're like doing 20 to 100 damage. It's just bizarre to see like all the numbers squished like that again. Um, they've changed a bunch of the skills and talents, um, which they do every expansion trying to streamline stuff down. Uh, I'm still feeling a little lost with everything, just trying to get my head around it all. I'm just doing a bit of the uh, the content that I missed over the last year and a bit, mm. where I've pretty much quit the game. So uh, I finished the Tomb of Sargeras raid. I just did that on the Looking for Raid mode, which is super easy mode. Now I'm doing uh, the Argus raid, so I'm halfway through doing that on the Looking for Raid mo- uh, mode. So yeah, it's... it's it's all right, you know. Um, it's all right, he says, to a game he's going to pour tens of tens no, of hours into. No, I'm just doing this just to get myself back into it, play the expansion, level up, so I can review it uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, on the on the podcast. But I I don't have the time to play it hardcore at all anymore. Mm. Like even joining a raiding guild and doing weekly raids, I won't have time to do that. So it'll be. I've, just... n- I've never had time to play World of Warcraft. Yep. I still remember being in primary school when it came out, and two of my friends being obsessed with it. And I looked at him and I said, "Nah, oh wow, nah, yeah, no, not I've, doing I've it. Been, not for me." I've been playing this game on and off for years. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to the new expansion in some ways, but it's probably the least expansion I've been looking forward to in just terms of the setting and things. I'm like, oh, I feel like they could have gone in a different direction, maybe even gone with a WoW 2 rope. But hey, you know, I'll check it out and review it in a few weeks' time. So Cool. Yeah, and the other one I jumped into was randomly was Final Fantasy 3 so on the, on the SNES on the SNES Mini pulled out the old SNES Mini again and uh, jumped on uh, Final Fantasy 3 yeah uh, playing through that at the moment it's fun why it, not <laughs> it's fun it's got that uh, yeah well it's old school um, mate Octopath is uh, you've been bitten by the JRPG yeah yeah but uh, yeah I'm like three or four hours into it now um, how but, does it hold up I haven't played it in, in years yeah look um We'll get onto how Octopath works and all that soon, but it still feels fine. Yeah. Like, I'd love a remake of this. Mm. Like, a fully, like, modernised remake. Like, not even... A, like an Octopath remake, or a... <laughs> I mean, like, a Final Fantasy VII remake remake of this. Really? Yep. But that's still, like, four years away, so... Yeah, I know. <laughs> when, when are we getting I, Final Fantasy III? Well, I think III? the weakest thing of Final Fantasy III is the writing. Okay. Some of the writing is just awful. I just like to see him just re like take the same story structure and everything that happens, but just rewrite a lot of it all and just remake it all from the ground up. Yep. Um, you know, it's got a great like antagonist in um in Kefka, like he's just evil. Okay. Um, you know, and yeah, it's it's got great music. Like it's probably one of my favorite soundtracks of the Final Fantasy series. Um, it's it's just a great classic game. So I've just been getting into that again. I'm going to actually attempt to finish it this time. I've never finished it. 
So I've gotten quite far into it in the past, but never roll credits. So that's what I'm I'm looking forward to trying to do sometime. Well, you've got your extended cord now, so, that's, <laughs> yeah, so that's you, you can right, actually right. sit on your couch and comfortably play rather than have to um, uh, worry about being two feet away from the TV. Yep, that's right. Um, so also we should uh, keep moving on with this. Yeah. Uh, right, so let's go into the shout-outs. So um, because he's not here this week, we're going to shout-out Carl. Woo! He's, uh, hey, Carl. He's uh, touring as the lyrical at the moment, as he does, which is his job. Mm-hmm. He is doing his In the Cold tour. He spells cold with several O's okay. to maybe embellish on the cold. Yeah, just to emphasise how <laughs> bloody... Co- it's below zero, and every single O represents one degree below zero. Yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, we'll shout him out. So, he's got a few dates here coming up over the next week, actually. So, if you happen to be in Falls Creek this weekend... He's playing at the Frying Pan Inn on Friday the 27th of July and Sunday the 29th of July. Cool. And if you're in Melbourne, he's here next week and he's playing at the Horse Bazaar. I think that's what, how you, <laughs> you pronounce it. On Tuesday the 31st of July. I'm trying to read upside down. Yeah, Horse Bazaar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's playing there Tuesday the 31st of July. So if you're in Melbourne, go check him out. I'll be there supporting him. As you do. What a yep, friend. Yep, Just yep. a good good bloke. Yeah, so I thought we'd uh, give him a shout-out on his tour at the moment. Um, they're about halfway through. They've played Canberra and, and stuff. And, uh, yeah, he's joined the slopes as well at the moment. So he's going snowboarding or skiing or whatever he's doing yeah, up there. Yeah, living his best life. Why not? Yep. All right. Well, we should move into the review now. And this week, it's Octopath Traveller. Who will you take on your journey? By what means will you overcome the challenges set before you? How will your characters grow and rise to tackle the formidable foes that stand in their way? In Octopath Traveler, every choice is yours to make. Right, Octopath Traveler is developed by Square Enix and published by Nintendo in Australia. And if you're in Japan, it's published by Square Enix. Um, It is a RPG, but taking the old school roots of Final Fantasy 3 slash 6, which we spoke of before, that old pixel style look, that 2D look, and uh, yeah, it follows the stories of eight people with their own stories, rather than, I guess, in your normal RPG, which is like... Man, how do you explain this? There's eight separate well, stories. There are eight separate stories which start very much individually. Yes. And come together at the end rather than you get a glimpse of one really big story with one character and just have support characters come in throughout you can pick any sort of starting point that you want out of these eight characters and and see how the story develops as you come together yeah that's the thing you you can play this game a variety of ways there are eight characters you could just choose one of the eight at the start of the game and just go through the game just as that character if you wanted to Hmm. or you can pick up three others and go just with your party of four or you can do what I did and go around, pick up all eight people into your party and start playing it that way. That's what I did too. <laughs> it seems like that's the only way to do it. You, yeah. want, you want to get a taste for what all of them it, are about. It, exactly. And each character plays differently. So you've got like a warrior, you've got like a healer, you've got like a mage, well, it's a scholar in this. Yes. Um, and then you've also got like a thief. And then you've got others like a dancer, which is like a buffing class. You've got a, a merchant, which is also like a buffing class but a bit different in its own way she's weird i don't like tressa but anyway um, we'll get into that later yeah, yeah. um yeah you know like they've done something a bit different with all eight characters um and then they've also got these things called path actions so the thief can steal off townsfolk 
the warrior can challenge people. Uh, the scholar can um, scrutinize scrutinize people, find out a bit about them, or and locate hidden items and things like that. Yeah, yeah. They, they all have a special ability that is specific to them. And I suppose you can allow yourself to become the player that you want or pick players that suit your game style. So you might like to be the good guy in video games and decide, all right, I'm going to buy everything for a cheaper price. So you have Tressa, the merchant in your party, to try to get 10% off. Or you can say, I'm going to be the bad guy and steal everything. So you play as Therion. Yep. And but if you fail at stealing, you know, specific items a number of times, your reputation in a town might be completely destroyed, and then you've got to pay a hefty sum to bring that reputation back up for the barman to start spreading good rumors about you. Yeah, yeah. So I went with the fairy one approach. Yes, of course, you were oh, the bad guy. I, I oh, that steal um, is just amazing. You just walk into a town and just go right and just pretty much clear out the entire town. We don't want to sound like we're in favor of crime, but. In the game, it's an yeah. excellent way to get ahead. Yeah, it's uh, like rather than spending the money on it, like, I don't know, there was, I felt like there was no downside to the stealing. Bar's a reputation thing, but that hardly happened to me. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the upside is way too big for what the threat of the downside is. Although I did uh, fail with my reputation a couple of times in town when I had both Primrose the Dancer as well as Therion in my party because both of them have somewhat negative class action... Oh, actions which is to try and allure someone to join your party or to steal so and it it is quite a hefty price that you have to pay um to fix your reputation that being said my brother when he just started managed to steal an axe off somebody that was like a three percent chance the golden axe i have no idea what it was but he was just telling me about it apparently he hasn't found anything in the game since yep. that has come anywhere close to being that powerful. Yeah, that's what I felt. I felt like I was getting way more powerful items earlier in the game, which made the game a bit easier. But let's get on to the combat. So the combat yeah. is your turn-based style, yep. which you know most classic JRPGs have. With this, a bit of a twist. With a bit of a twist. This one's got um, the boost um, sort of um, system in this one. So you get a point every turn, and then when you can use those points to then boost your attacks, whether you do extra damage or multiple attacks yep. or or being able to do your ultimate. So you have to then start choosing, right, do I want to save up my points for a huge attack? Do I want to spend a bit of points earlier on? Um, there's lots of different ways it sort of incorporates into your battle and your strategy on how you go forward. Mm. And I quite like the system. I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Um, coming up with just different strategies. Um, I felt it promotes um, thinking two or three turns ahead mm. on how you want to sort of how you want the battle to sort of unfold and sort of setting up like a strategy, which I'd do over like two or three turns, then unleashing like ridiculous amounts of damage in quick succession. I mean, it does really stimulate or ask you to think critically about Mm -hmm. every single fight. And it can be, I mean, even as we're talking about it, it can seem overwhelming. That being said, the game does quite a good job at introducing you into every aspect of the fight pretty slowly so that you build your knowledge. But I think the the boost system, which you were talking about, is perfectly complemented by the breaking system. So while you can boost your attacks, your enemies also have a shield which you have to break. So they're weak to certain attacks and you have to exploit that and use your boost correctly so that once they're their shield is broken, you can also then use your boost to inflict the most damage possible. So it's a real give and take. It's a bit of a tug of war. 
And it's a really, really satisfying system once you get into the rhythm of it and yes. once you work out how to completely destroy enemies with it. Yeah, with the whole the breaking and the weakness system, again, that's also, you'd go like, right, I need to break this guy before his turn. So then you'd go like hard at doing that because once they're broken, the enemy's sort of knocked out for like yeah. a full turn. So if, you, if they're about to hit you with a powerful attack, you want to break them as quick as possible. Again, using your boost maybe to inflict a couple of lighter attacks but to break their shield quicker mm. and then you sort of roll in and do the heavy damage it can, it can work a lot of ways and i felt yeah they both systems complement each other perfectly and just how it's sort of executed in this game in terms of a turn-based uh strategy battle system and admittedly i mean if we're comparing it to things as basic as uh i don't want to go into other jrpgs because they can be quite complex in itself yep. but i feel like this is a really really good um, middle ground between some of the more complex JRPGs and something as basic as Pokemon, yep. where you are, and even maybe South Park, the Stick of Truth and Fractured yep. But Whole is probably a better example, where that felt a little bit too basic, whereas yep. this just has that extra level, which even though it might be a bit daunting, really does make it for a, a much more satisfying experience. Yeah, it adds a lot of strategy to it. And then some of the bosses later on, they start changing their weaknesses mid-battle, and that adds like an extra layer of... I have not got to that bit. So. Oh, yeah, have fun when that starts happening. <laughs> you feel like you've got it sorted out. It's like, right, this guy's weak to ice, so you start smacking with all your ice spells. Next, next minute, he like changes, and it's all question marks on what his weaknesses yeah. are again. So you've got to then got to guess, and it might be lightning that time. It, it, it changes things up. Or it blocks you from breaking them in certain ways. Yeah. That's another... I've, I've already come up against that, and that can be so frustrating at times. But it is... And that that being said, you really need to be on your toes. We said critical thinking. But if you're not doing uh, your most optimised attack patterns, this game can punish you. It will beat you. I mean, I've had a fair number of game overs uh, during some boss battles. I know that you might be a better strategizer than me, Kelsey. You might not have the, the same problem, but... A lot of the time, if you don't have the right party members as well, as we said, you can unlock all eight. Sometimes um, it can be a real struggle, particularly if the character you pick initially, which for my case was Primrose, the dancer, isn't effective against a boss. Not only do you have her stuck in your party or locked in your party, mm -hmm. but you also have to have the character whose story element you're unpacking at the time. So sometimes you can only really have two extra characters, which are super effective. Yeah, I felt that party composition was a big thing in this game mm. in that setting out a party that will, you know, be able to counter most enemies. So you'd try and have someone be able to use a bow, someone that can use magic, mm. um, someone that can use swords, daggers. You know, you've you got to be able to counter everything that the enemy throws at you because sometimes you might be able to only um, use two different attacks to break that enemy. If you don't have those attacks in, that, in your party for whatever reason, you're pretty much stuffed in that fight. Yeah. So... Um, you but, start throwing items at them like the, the different gems. Yeah. <laughs> well, what does help towards this later on in the game is that you have the ability to unlock a second job. Yep. So then you can then make your thief also use magic as well. So then, as well as being able to go um, with your daggers against an enemy, then you can also use like frost and lightning, mm. etc. Which adds a lot more flexibility to then who you put into your party. Um, I didn't find the game overly challenging. I've now finished the game. The hardest bits for me have been the optional bosses, which I've gone for. Yep. Um, one took me quite a while until I worked out a, a proper strategy, but everything else was pretty much, you know, first go mm. um, smash them through. But then the party I was using, I made so it could counter numerous things. 
I would have two spellcasters to be able to break um, enemies that are weak to magic a lot quicker. Mm. And that goes a long way as well to, um, you know, pushing um, through it quite easily. But um, yeah, I had to think about some, especially one of the fights that I got stuck on for a while mm. on how to counter this boss. And once I figured it out, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. So I found that when I was dying and it, it was largely because I'm a bit stupid as well. And I thought, oh, I want to up, like, you know, actually, once you level up quite quickly initially, but once you get through that initial chapter for all the characters, leveling up becomes a much more arduous process. Yes. And when I was taking, you know, characters that were five levels under the recommended level into a boss battle for whatever character it was, I was really struggling then. That's like, you really have to optimize your party if you're going to get through that way. Yes. Which is where I kept you know, bashing my head against a brick wall effectively. Yep. So that's why I sort of met that struggle. But that being said, if you're selective with which um, story elements you want to follow, I think that can be a lot easier. Yeah, the way I sort of did it is that... Um, so each character in this game has four chapters. Yep. And a chapter one is picking up everyone in your party, intro chapter. And then the levels jump quite substantially. So by the time you've picked up everyone through the first loop of the map, let's say, you're about... Uh, level uh, uh, 11 to 15 around that sort of gap the next level of mission requires like level 20 plus yep so you pretty much have to grind go out find a cave kill monsters for a while to level up a bunch of characters up to a certain like threshold to be able to push forward mm. and this happens every time you you go through your chapters yep which does get a bit frustrating at times yep. that you're not ready to keep moving on through the game. It slows things down quite a bit. Especially when it's a game that is so broad in terms of its story. I think if you have a, a linear story where it's just the one character and you're focusing on levelling them up, it's fine. Yep. But because this character has eight separate protagonists and you really want to engage with all of their stories ultimately, because there's so much content there, it can be a bit frustrating when you've got to grind for half an hour to an hour just to get to a stage where you can do it. And I, I, I fully appreciate that. I understand that. Um, the battle system for me kept it, th or has so far kept things entertaining enough. Yep. Admittedly, I'm nowhere near as far in the game as you are. So um, I can see it being a little bit frustrating. And the, the one thing that irks me more than anything is the way, I mean, there's added layers in terms of what you can equip for your characters. Yes. So it's not just a standard RPG leveling system. You can get better swords, better weapons, better armor, three different kinds of armor. You can equip earrings that might make you luckier or have critical hits. Yeah. And every time, like, if you don't have the best stuff or you are changing party members a lot, you've got to take them from the ones you sub out and put them on the ones you sub in, which yeah. is a bit of an arduous process in and of itself. I felt it was annoying that your main character, the first character you choose is locked because you have eight characters, you've got parties of four, yep. but then you've got this uneven balance where you could have really set up two parties of four that you could switch between, mm. while this one you can only add three people in and then you've got that odd number and the players that you have benched uh, don't get experience points no. at all. It would be nice if they got maybe half. So then mm. they're slowly leveling up too. Yep. So I felt I was doing like sort of subbing people in and just trying to keep everyone around the same sort of level yep. um, while I went through the game. Um, so I wouldn't have to sort of grind as much, like bring someone up like 10, 15 levels, which was mm. just painful to do. But I suppose that might also be good 
if you do it a different way to us. And this is why it's great, because the game lets you play the way you mm-hmm. want. Um, it never forces you to go to any of these characters' chapters. So if you're not necessarily as interested in their story, you don't have to do them at all, I'm assuming, unless yeah. you want 100% the game. So, yes. I mean, I'm stuck with Primrose, but I've finished every character's second chapter, and I left hers last. Yes. Whereas now I've got a Primrose that's... I think level 37 or 38, but I've got Tressa, my merchant, who is level 18 or 19 because I just can't stand her. So it is is hard to try and keep everyone at that same level. But hopefully once I get to the uh, further into the third uh, layer of story, if I bring Tressa back, she might upgrade quickly uh, against tougher enemies, assuming she doesn't die. (laughs) Yeah, look, I... um... I had Therion as my main, and I've actually kept him throughout the whole game now, because actually once you finish the chapter four, you can sub him out if you want. Oh, okay, I, cool. I've, I've still got him uh, actually in my party, just because I just sort of like him. And he's he's my, cool, yeah. He's, he's my highest level character of like 70-something now. Oh, wow. So, uh, and with his sub-job, which I'm not going to spoil for anyone, uh, I've made him an absolute weapon now. Lovely. Yeah, which is great. But um, It's fun being OP. Let's talk a bit about the side quests quickly. There are side quests apart from your main... Mains. Um, this is something I had a bit of an issue with in this game, in that you'd rack up all these side quests, and in your journal, it would just give you one line about that side quest, but would give you really no hint on where to go or what to do with it. And I found myself accidentally completing side quests without even realizing I'd mm. like half completed it, it or having the item for it. I, it just felt a bit frustrating for me that there is a lot of side quests. You're probably looking at about 40 to 50 side quests in this oh, game. Oh, yeah, there's heaps. Um, and I haven't gone and done them all because of just how frustrating it would be that the journal just doesn't give you a great rundown on where you need to go to complete the quests. Yep. I mean, we were talking about this just before we started, and I brought up the point that the side quests don't even feel necessary. I mean, for for me, I'm somebody that, as much as I love this game, um, I'm not going to 100% this game. I've never 100%ed a JRPG just because there's too much to do. And so for me... I do like interacting with the NPCs, finding out what their problems are. If something just, you know, dawns on me and I know I've got that item or whatever, great. But you don't necessarily level up very quickly. You just sort of build your reputation within the town and get a bit of gold or you might get an item. So for me, I I quite like that they're just there, even though I'm never going to necessarily do them because it's world building. Mm -hmm. But that being said, if you are a completionist or you are somebody that likes to try out everything that a game has to offer, I can understand why it would be frustrating. I think this game is quite a perfect game for the Switch in its way in in this type of game it is because I went through this whole game like chapter after chapter after chapter yeah and um, with it being split into chapters like that it's quite perfect for the Switch in that you can pick it up do a chapter which mm. takes about an hour and a bit yep. per chapter and then sort of maybe go do something else you know put your Switch down go do whatever um, I found because the way I played the game was just back to back to back to back yep. it got quite repetitive okay in that um, you go into a new area, a new chapter, there'll be a big story bit that maybe goes for 20 minutes. You go through, uh, you do a dungeon, you beat a boss, bit of story bit, you're done. Yep. And it was like that over and over and over again. And sometimes my eyes would just glaze over <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, and some of the less interesting stories in the game. Yes, and that's what I particularly found with Tressa, the merchant, mm-hmm. and why I will not be doing another bit of her story. Like, And that's why I don't think the game is necessarily designed for you to play every single uh, character's story. I think it, it wants you to pick the ones you like and just focus on them because 
I mean, the the level cap, say, for some of the second level, or sorry, the recommended level for some of the second chapter stories is low 20s, you know, 22 to 24. My character was in the mid-30s by the time I got to those. So it's a yeah. breeze to get through them. So I don't think it necessarily wants you to do it that way. Yeah. Um, and that's why I've changed up the way I'm going through this game at the moment. But I can understand um, why you might start to think it gets a bit repetitive and boring. Or oh, I wanted to go through every character's chapters and everything because I wanted to see how this whole story linked together because mm. it starts out as eight different stories. Yeah. And that's pretty much how it plays out through the entire game. Yep. In that when you when you do complete all the chapter fours, everyone's completed their own little story. There is no moment during that where they all get together. What? All of them. They don't have their little Avengers moment they where... They don't have their Avengers Iron moment Man in the, in the main Thor story. Iron Man and start no. joking. No. no, and that's... Don't tell me this, Cal. I wanted to finish this. Now I've got less motivation. There's still motivation. Yeah. There's still motivation. Because um, um, in saying that, all their stories are linked through f- different threads that do pop up throughout the game. And you start to put it together in your head. All right, so this is actually li- linking through to this. Yeah. Some people might not like that. I think it goes okay that way. I still would have liked to see that payoff. It's almost like an Arrested Development Season 4. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Um, but there is um, there is something special once you have finished everything. Okay. Right? But I won't go into what that is all or right. how that all comes together. Would, would you say it's satisfying enough for the 50 plus hours you put into it? Long pause. I don't know. This is not a technical um, glitch. This is just a long considered be, pause. Because, oh man, I don't want to spoil too much what happens at the very end. You just got to say, well, was it worth it? Uh, I enjoyed the game a lot. Um, I, I thought it was a unique way of doing it. And yeah, you, I knew from the start that they weren't all going to have that Avengers moment, but I still played through it all. But then I was kind of happy what happens after right you've done it. everything. Okay. Yeah, which is a very optional thing you can go do. Mm. Well, look, I, I, I'm again nowhere near... I haven't, 100%, I haven't finished every single story. I'm about halfway through the game. I am enjoying it so far, very much so. I'm going to obviously finish it. Um, a little bit disappointed they don't have their Avengers moment, but I think overall it's just good fun. Yes. So I really enjoy the combat and it's so pretty to look at. I think the only thing we've actually mentioned about its visuals so far is that it's sort of inspired by Final Fantasy. But of course, yeah. ultimately it's like Final Fantasy sprites in this diorama pixelated world yeah. with heaps of bloom lighting and a really shallow depth of field. And it's... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what, field, yeah. But it's 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 cool. It looks it, great, and yeah. it, honestly, it's almost like if your imagination was going at a hundred percent during the sixteen bit era, this is what the world sort of looked like. Yeah, look, it's it's got that. Oh, the art style is very unique, and then when you fight a boss in the battle screen, the boss is like this big, over exaggerated thing, which looks yeah. really cool. The bosses actually have some great designs mm. too. And of course, the music, I didn't mind the music. They've got that sort of... It's what you'd expect in a JRPG. I, I thought the music was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got, you know, your, your you know, guitar-y sort of music for your battles. You've got sort of pan flutey music for, you know, quiet towns. Yeah. Uh, it, it just works. They've, they've gone and captured that, I guess, nostalgic feel of your old JRPGs and, and put it into this. And that's what it is. It's yeah. like this trip down nostalgia lane... But with all these sort of, I guess, modernised sort of systems involved. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I think after 30 years or however long they've been around, Square Enix know how to make a JRPG. So That's right. Um, they, they did a very, very good job. I so guess, far. what will you score this out of 10? Oh, look, it's 
it's pretty early for me. I mean, I'm not all the way through, yeah. but I mean, just uh, initially, I'm enjoying the game a lot more than I thought. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's by any means perfect. Yeah. Um, but I, I would probably give it, you know, mid eights at yep. the at the moment. Okay. I mean, I, I don't think it's. I, it might bump up to a nine by the time I'm finish it. Finish yep. it if I enjoy the way everything weaves together. Yeah. But I must say, some of the stories in this are fantastic. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that level of depth, particularly with uh, Primrose, Cyrus the Scholar. Yes. Uh, I quite like Ulbricht's, um Tale of Revenge as well. They're, they're just really, really fantastic stories, with the exception of Tressa the Merchant, who just wants to go out and be a better merchant. Sorry, I keep just ripping on Tressa, but like I hate her. Um, <laughs> uh, with the exception of her... And maybe Ophelia, who is quite a fun character to play, although her story is simply, I am a, a sister of the church going around to bring this flame to three div- div- other churches. They're all quite complex storylines. And that aspect I really enjoyed. So if they find a way, and I'm already seeing it, to weave those together mm-hmm. in a really meaningful way, yes. I will probably like this game enough to give it a nine. How about you? Um, yeah, look, I, I found um, the stories were quite good. Um, yeah, there are those threads that weave it all together, um, which which adds a bit of sort of depth that you've got to look out for those things, but then you go, oh yeah, okay, right. That's kind of cool how that sort of connects to that. Does does it all link to one big bad guy? In a way. That's all right. That's all I want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got to find those threads and then you've got to, yeah, move on. But there is links to something happening. I want my Thanos, baby. (laughs) Where's my Thanos? There there are links to something (laughs) bigger happening in the world yep um but yeah i found that yeah the disappointing things for me were the side quests yep i was let down by that um and as i said it does get a bit repetitive but the way i was playing it was quite sort of like i was putting in 10 hours a day into this thing oh jeez so full-time job yeah um and then i it did feel at times a little too easy that i'd roll into a battle and smash through it but the good things the graphics the nostalgia feel the weaving stories uh, and I've given it an 8.9 out of 10. Beautiful. Yes. All right. And that was Octopath Traveler. Eight travelers, eight adventures, eight stories await. So uh, this week, because Carl's not here, we aren't doing games of our lives. Instead, we're going back to our backtrack segment, which is this week in the history of gaming. What we're going to do right here is go back. Way back. Back into time. <laughs> Backtrack this week, on the 29th of July in 1993. All right. I was one. You were one. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, (laughs) Wow. um, Echo the Dolphin released on Sega Genesis. Ah, what a game. (laughs) Did you play much Echo or did you play Echo? No. No, I I know what Echo the Dolphin is, but I've never played Echo. I I really enjoyed this game back in the day. I, I don't know. There was something about this dolphin game where you just sort of cruise around as this dolphin. You can do jumps out of the water, flips... Um, you just cruise around, you sort of use your sonar to find things. Yeah. It was a really cool sort of stylized game. Like, you know, you go, oh, it's a dolphin game. It was fun. I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the sequel, which I think came out the year after, mm-hmm. Echo 2. And it was actually quite a challenging game too. It was, um, 
Yeah, they somehow made this game friggin' difficult. But um, <laughs> it's like Donkey Kong Country level of underwater level. Yeah, like it was like a lot of games back in the day, though. Like they just seemed so much more difficult. Mm. We, I guess we weren't given the checkpoints and the sort of lenience and things like we were in game in gaming these days. But this was just this. I don't know. Some of the later levels in this were friggin' hard. Mm. Um, but yeah, they made an entire game when you're a dolphin. I mean, we would never see that these days. You can't imagine, oh, at least not on the scale of a AAA title. I'm not saying Echo the Dolphin was a AAA title. No, but... But um, yeah. it's funny that that would have been a $60 game way back when. Um, yeah. And, you know, something like that today would probably come out for $10 yeah, if, yeah. if um, anyone was actually going to buy it. So it's, it's amazing maybe as a retrospective look at how our value in games has changed now that we've got these big open worlds and God of War just, yeah, you know, so well, perfect. Did you see the trailer for Maneater? No, I haven't. Have you heard of Maneater? Uh, I feel like I have, but okay. I don't know why. So it was shown off at E3. You play as a shark. Oh. It's an open world shark game. Okay. And you have to eat people off the beach and, and off piers. So you're basically Jaws, is what you... Pretty much. And you can level up your shark. So he gets sharper teeth. He can jump further out of the water, swim faster. Is there some like amazing under, underwater crustacean that just runs a shop and sharpens his teeth with I, a little I, file? I, I, like, I don't know. I'm, how, how do you get that upgrade? Like, I feel like that's what they'd do with Echo the Dolphin if it was to come out these days. And that would have like... You'd upgrade your sonar and you'd jump further out of the water and you'd become like this super dolphin. Super dolphin. That's right. Super Make dolphin. him the next character in Super Smash Brothers. I yeah, don't know. That's right. Oh, look, look. Um, I'm excited for Maneater because I think it looks interesting. A bit of a twist on the open world thing that you're playing as a shark. Yep. Why not? Uh, for all those people that want to live out their Jaws fantasies. Is it open water or open world? What would you count it? I think it'd be open water. Yeah. Because uh, you ain't walking on land unless you get an upgrade like. <laughs> See, oh, land legs, and then you walk out into land. You Maybe know, the shark, shark can just like pay eight people to carry him around oh, on yeah. land and eat people. Or maybe the town floods, and that's how you get around. That would be great, you know. So yeah, but uh, yeah, that's uh, this week's backtrack. <laughs> there wasn't actually much going on this week in the history of gaming. Uh, funnily enough, hey, but Echo the Dolphin e- Echo is the a dolphin great number one. Is, is a great yeah, is a old school classic. Well, to me anyway, it's uh, I got fond memories of that game. Evidently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, on to our questions this week. So, as always, people can write into us um, at www.gametrainpodcast.com, facebook.com slash gametrainpodcast. You know, um, you can write in there or you can find us on Instagram at gametrainpodcast.com or Twitter at gametraintalk. Uh, but yeah, so Carl actually wrote in. A oh. while ago, a while ago, actually, when he had he wrote, time write off, a letter to himself. <laughs> he had time off earlier in the year when he couldn't talk, um, and we had Mark and Dave fill in for for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually wrote a question in which we didn't use because I think Reef was still sending in hundreds of questions <laughs> to us. But yeah, so we thought we'd actually use Carl's question this time. So thank you, Carl. I know he got a little he got a little annoyed that we never used his question. Okay, so fair enough. This should cheer him up a little. He asks. What is your biggest accomplishment in gaming? Oh, jeez. Oh, biggest? Yeah. So it could Ever. be anything. Like, it could be a boss you've beaten, a game you finish. It could be just... I don't know. It could be anything. It, this is pretty much his question. Yeah, this is rough. I mean, do you have something in mind? I mean, I've... I think... Achievement-wise, my greatest achievements came before achievements and trophies. Yep. 
ever since they've been around, I've almost felt like I've never fully clocked a game. Okay. Even yeah. though they're there, and I know that you can, you know, uh, actually accurately measure what you've done, I would say that my biggest achievement, and is yeah, if I hearken back to when I was a kid, is probably getting the the one twenty stars in Super Mario sixty four. Wow, that's that's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Because yeah. to do that as a kid, when I wasn't buying games every other week, yeah. <laughs> uh, that felt significant to me. But in terms of probably the most painstaking collectathon, mine were the feathers in Assassin's Creed two. Yep, yep. Because the first time I went around and got them, I missed one. Mm-hmm. And then I was determined because I only had one to go, so I checked the location of every feather again to find that last feather. Wow, that's intense. That was like borderline OCD, though. I yeah. wouldn't really call that an achievement so much as a, a real slight on my personality. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah right. Okay. So um, yeah, let's go with the happy 120 stars in Mario 64 I, as as like a five to six year old. That was good. Yeah, see, I've never platinumed a game or anything like that. It's never? Just, it, not one? No. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, I just roll credits, mate, and move on. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I'll go these days. I've gotten close. I got close on God of War. Yep. And I think some of the Assassin's Creed games I've gotten quite close. Yep. Um, Nino Kuni I got close as well. Um, but I just... It's, it's just getting out whose last one or two trophies is just mm. annoying. It's annoying when there's things in games like Last Guardian where one of the achievements is literally based on you being so bad at every puzzle that you have to get advice from the game's narrator. Yes, yes. Every single time. It's going a bit far, isn't who's, it? Who's going to waste their time doing that? And then nah. there's speed runs where you're also going to beat it in under like yeah. four hours. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, not a fan. Yeah, no. Um, so for mine is actually uh, something from World of Warcraft years ago. Okay. So I was in a big raiding when you, guild. When you clocked over your 2,000th hour? Is uh, that, yeah, yeah. Well, when you spent more than an entire adult <laughs> year like of your life yep. in World of Warcraft? Uh, I was in quite a hardcore raiding guild back okay. in the day. This is back in the 40-man raiding days that you need 40 people to do a dungeon. You're speaking gibberish to me right yep. now. You need 40 <laughs> people to go do one of these big raid dungeons. And, um, yeah, I was in one of the top Australian guilds mm-hmm. um, that will sort of always sort of pushing new content. And this one, we actually got an Oceanic first. So out of all the Oceania realms, we're the first lot to down this one boss. Okay. It was so friggin' hard. We probably spent, as a collective group, 30 to 40 hours on this boss. Wow. One boss. That's over a couple of weeks, so of attempts. Yeah, well, I would hope so. <laughs> like so many attempts. Like it was just the most insane thing ever. Like and just the elation of finally beating it, and that you needed everyone to work as a pro- forty people to work as a as a cohesive team to be able to beat this thing. Mm. And yeah, it was just insane. Like I, I couldn't believe it when we did it, and just the amount of time we put in of trying to beat this thing it was just out of control and that's probably it yeah we got like the number one oceanic guild and and stuff like that and yeah i've just sorry i've i've now that i've had more time to think i've got two more can okay. i say two more yeah, yeah yeah sure at one stage my cousin and i had the longest winning streak in the world in afl live Wow. Online. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 57 games. Yeah. It got to a point where we were winning so much that we had to let other like teams kick goals on us. Because it was unfair, we had two people on our team, so you could actually work together yeah. to manipulate your way yeah, around the ball. to move the ball, yeah, yeah. So it got to a point where we were so lazy, we were just like, on our laptops and on our phones until this guy got a lead on us so good that we couldn't get back, and yelling ensued. 
So that's one. And also, for a very, very brief amount of time, I had the number one score in the world for Katy Perry's TGIF on Guitar Hero Live. <laughs> what? Yeah. I'll get the photo. I'll get the photo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Does that count? Is that better than Mario 64? Yeah, yeah they're, all, they're all great accomplishments. <laughs> but uh, yeah, wow. That's... I can't believe I didn't think of those before when you asked me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's... Yeah. They're up there for life achievements, not just in video games. Wow. Yeah, no, uh, but thanks, Kyle, for writing in <laughs> on that one. Actually, I have to ask Kyle his. I think there'll be something related to Frostbite on the Atari or something. Okay. He's got some sort Way of... Way back when. Yeah. No, no, because he, he played like a, um, a re-release of it years ago on his Xbox and got some ridiculous high score on it. And, okay. And stuff like that. Like, he'd invite people around and he'd challenge them to high scores and he'd be like, why are we playing this whole game? <laughs> I don't know. He has to go through it on the podcast again. But yeah, um, thanks for that, Kyle. Um, wow. Jeez, world records, eh? Hey? Well, I don't have it anymore. Yeah. That was it's that, because it was literally cool. the second day that it had been out. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, that brings us through towards the uh, the end of the episode. But first, we have to go through the trains. The trains. Toot toot. And the first one is the lame train. The lame train. Mate, what's your lame train this week? My lame train isn't necessarily attached to any news per se, but it has to do with the new Call of Duty, which is coming out at the end of the year. Yeah. I don't think... Black Ops 1111. Yes. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a more disappointing package put together and tried to like be charged to the consumer. Wow. We live in an era where multiplayer games are free, like Fortnite. Yes. Right? And there are so many free-to-play games out there that Activision has gone to a... I used to love the campaigns in Call of Duty. Mm -hmm. So they have completely stripped out the campaign. Yep. They're focusing only on multiplayer, and yet they're going to charge us $60 just at the start, just for the price of entry, and then you know that Call of Duty needs more money for maps, more money for whatever else they decide to sell you, whether it be loot box-wise or otherwise. Yep just for you to have fun in that game. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I know that Call of Duty is constantly the top, the best-selling game that there is every year on year. Yeah. Maybe with the exception of Grand Theft Auto. Who knows where that sits? Grand Theft Auto but, 5 keeps going. And that's insane. But I feel like following the, the revolution of games like PUBG and Fortnite, I think the paradigm has shift, mm-hmm. shifted. People might still buy this one because they remember Call of Duty. But I think if they have to pay somewhere between 60 and $100... Just for the price of entry. Yeah. For a game that then requires you to pay more. Yep. I don't think it stacks up against, you know, the fun of something like Fortnite or the free fun of, you know, the PUBG or whatever it may be. So I just, yeah, I I think that that game is stacking up to be more and more disappointing as we get closer to its release date. I I played it at E3 actually. Don't get me wrong, it still it still looks great, it still handles great, yeah. it's one of the tightest first-person shooters around, yeah. but I just, I hate the fact that they've stripped out the mm-hmm. campaign. Yep, same. And See, I, I, I don't I, think there's anything to fill that void. I got um, World War II last year, that was good. Mm. That, that was good, the campaign, that was great, that was the best thing I thought about that game. You yeah. know? And then to see him drop that, yeah, that was pretty disappointing, like dropping their... Um, campaigns because they've actually been really good structured campaigns and they're never the longest games uh, no, six to eight hours. but that's that's okay at least yeah. you've got something to do to get 
you into the rhythm of Call of Duty, it provides a lot more um, context for the for the multiplayer as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because you know the world that you're fighting in, whereas this is just a simple multiplayer game, which again is fine, but I think the the barrier to entry price wise is a bit steep. Yep. Uh, my lame train this week is my co-host Carl. Oh, mate, throw him under the bus. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's getting to hang out and go skiing and snowboarding and and play live music in bars and drink and have fun. Yep. That sounds like a a love train. He's he's having a great yeah, day. Yeah, he's on the. I'm missing. I don't get to do this. You're That's just the jealous. Train. Yeah. Oh yeah, my no, god. No, that, he gets to go to all this exciting, fun stuff and. Yeah, so... So you being FOMO is your lame train. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Alright, so now on to the love train. Love train. Well, mine, and I'm not too sure if you've already spoken about this on the podcast, but mine has to do with the Uncharted fan film that came out. No, we haven't spoken about that at all on the podcast. Wow. I love it. I Again, obviously it's not... Hollywood quality. Admittedly, they've got Nathan Fillion, so yeah, you know yeah, it's, yeah. it's not too far off. But I really just enjoyed the fact that somebody is trying to give Sony an indication that this IP would do really, really well as a stand-in for Indiana Jones, which no longer exists. Really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think he's a great. He plays the character really well in this fifteen-minute short film. The story is nothing complex, but it gives you the action that you want. It's got this really cool sequence where the camera swings behind uh, the main actor like it is a scene from the game. Admittedly, you can only imagine how much better that would be with, you know, the money that Sony could mm-hmm. potentially throw at it. Yep. And I just really like that somebody's gone out of their way to, to make this for no real profit. Yeah, no, um, that yeah, I've actually got to sit down and watch that. I've seen articles on it everywhere. Yeah. I'm like, an Uncharted movie would be great. As you said, um, there's that sort of, you know, space where Indiana Jones used to be in the movie calendar where you can go, all right, that would work really well. Yeah. And yeah, like I could even see someone like a Chris Pratt playing him, Mm. you know. Chris Pratt has a monopoly on just rugged, (laughs) good-looking adventurers at the moment. That's right. Um, That's right. uh, Yeah, so look, I... I really just like what they're trying to do with it. Yeah. Um, I like that somebody's, you know, gotten off their own backside to make this happen, you know, and, and just to give everyone an idea of what it could look like, the tone it could have. And there are a few ridiculous moments in it. He's, he's doing the whole, you know, hand on the head of a shorter enemy who's then, you know, swinging his arms yeah, wildly at him. fine, no. But, you know, it was... It's, they're fun adventure films. Like, we don't have a... You know, there was like the Mummy movies years ago mm. as well. Like, no, they're not fun anymore. <laughs> I know, but you know what I mean—that you can take the whole family along to and enjoy it. And they could do that. With you the... cannot take the whole family along to the Mummy. My uncle showed me that film when I was like six, and my brother was four. We had nightmares for months. <laughs> well, uh, for me, my uh, my love train is playing old school RPGs again. Okay. So Octopath Traveler brought the nostalgia feels back, and then I jumped onto Final Fantasy. Six again, like it's ah, those old school ones were just awesome. Like, also, like games like Chrono Trigger, I'd love to play that again, which I should actually try and play again. But I've just, I just love the old school art style, the old MIDI music. I don't know, there's just something about those old games that just brings they, all the they have a charm, they yeah. have a charm, and it's. It's amazing how even the simplistic art style can just make a game more accessible. Yeah. It's 2D. You don't have to worry about too much. And it's not heavy on action where you've got to be mentally prepared 
to just quickly react to either quick time events or dodge mm-hmm. attacks. Turn-based strategy, easy. Yep. All right, now on to the hype train. Hype train. I mean, I was going to bring up the Xbox Scarlet. We, we already up. discussed that, you but bring it up here I'll sort of can. I'll bring it up in a different context, and that is uh, the emergence of brand new tech that could change the way consoles are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no secret that I absolutely love my Nintendo Switch. Yep. On the website mustplay.net that I sort of run, or well, I'm starting to to pick up on the side, or I'm basically a Nintendo correspondent because all I do is play that thing. Yep. And I think. It's such a great idea that once Microsoft or Sony manages to perfect this streaming technology, could you imagine playing a game like Horizon or Spider-Man or something of that graphical fidelity and just take it anywhere? Yeah, but if you don't have the internet, you're stuffed. That being said, I mean, hotspot on phones has become incredible. Data is now basically free on mobile phones. Um, I can really see this changing the game. And we're still two years away from that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Two years plus. But I just think the notion that streaming is going to be uh, the basis of gaming going forward, and Mm -hmm. I'm fine with a subscription service. I love Netflix and Stan and Spotify. I've got all of it. Yeah. Already pay for Xbox Live and PS Plus. I'll pay for the Nintendo one when it comes out. That's fine. Do you have the Xbox Game Pass? My brother does, yes. That's amazing value for it money. Is. It is ridiculous. Exactly. And yeah. that's I think games as a service is going to change the way things are. And once streaming kicks in, it's only going to take it to another level. Mm-hmm. Because nothing frustrates me more than getting a brand new game and having to wait for it to install on my Xbox One. Yep. And... If they can just make that stream... And that being said, the tech is obviously still a while away. We know what they did in Japan with the Nintendo Switch and Resident Evil 7. Yep. Clearly, it doesn't work the way we want it to just yet. No. But I still don't think the Switch has enough grunt inside it to facilitate it. So... Mm -hmm. I would really, really like to see where Microsoft and Sony can take it with, you know, state-of-the-art tech in two, three years' time. And I'm just, I'm hyped for that. Because the the notion, I mean, I love my Switch. I take it wherever I go. Even I had to go to the doctor's office, you know, briefly this morning. I was there waiting with my Switch. Like, there's little kids looking at me like, oh, can I play that? And I'm like, nah, this is mine. (laughs) You stay over in that corner with your lame book. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I would, yeah, I I think it's, it's ripe to be the future mm-hmm. um and i yeah i don't enjoy gaming on my phone so give me something that's that's cool and portable that allows me to play horizon whatever the next one's called at uh horizon zero dusk i don't know yeah why not <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. horizon midday just yeah. horizon 10 10 a.m yes all right well mine is uh well shadow of the tomb raider i wasn't really hyped for this game at all mm-hmm. right um because I hadn't really played through the other Tomb Raiders. I even played Shadow of the Tomb Raider at Eve 3. Wasn't that hype still. Yep. It wasn't until I finished part one and two that I went, oh, wow, I'm actually really hyped for part, part three now. Yeah. Like, um, Carl's been going on about it for a while to me. And I've been like, oh, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, no, I'm I'm like, I'm in. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm full in. Um, September 14th that comes out. Yep. Uh, it looks awesome. Um... Which is pretty soon on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, like a week after Spider Man. So September's mm. September's a big month. Yeah, like a very big month, um, which is going to be a lot of fun, but uh, a lot of gaming, and yeah, I guess that brings us down to the uh, end of the episode now, though. No, not yeah, the end. Yeah, that, that's right. That is the end. <laughs> and um, yeah, um, 
as I mentioned that uh, those big AAAs are all going to start rolling out soon. So what we did here on Game Train last year, before all that happened, we ran an episode called Indie Centric, where it was just all on indie titles, giving them their time to shine before all your, you know, your big AAAs roll in. So again, we're going to do another Indie Centric episode. We've got Indie Centric 2 happening next time on Game Train. So tune in for all indie, all indie stuff the whole time. You know, we're going to avoid those big AAA titles just for an episode. As long as you're talking about Overcooked 2, which comes out in like a few weeks' time. <laughs> what, two weeks? Yeah, 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 yeah. Overcooked 2 comes out soon. Uh, there's a bunch of others. Uh, Moonlight, which is that mm. little RPG where you set up a shop. We might have a look at that. Plus some others that we've been discussing, Carl and I. We uh, aren't fully set on what we're going to cover yet. We're sort of throwing ideas back and forth. But uh, yeah, you have to tune in and check out Indiecentric 2 on the next Game Train episode. I'll be tuning in. So thanks for having me for yes, this week, Carl. Yes, again, thank you so much for filling in for uh, Carl. Anytime. Um, I'm sure we'll have you on again later in the year. Because um, I know Carl's got other, uh, he's got an album launch later in the year, so he'll be unavailable. This man's too cool. I know. What is he doing so... on this podcast? He just sounds so cool. <laughs> but yeah, so he's got an album launch coming up in September, so he'll be unavailable for a little bit. So we'll be getting in guest hosts again. Beautiful. But uh, yeah, anything else you want to finish it off with? No, 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 no cool. just get hype. Love Octopath Travel. I'll keep playing it, and I'll, I'll let you know what my final score is in about. Three years' time when I finish it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in again. And uh, this has been Game Train.